0: I had to trust you like it or not. Like we were biking together, right? You were sort of my lifeline and I was yours in many ways. Right. (laughs) And, and to learn to trust another human being too. I mean, that's not a small, um, feat, especially early in recovery. Right.
1: From Darkness to Life contains the real stories of courageous individuals who found their way out of the darkness caused by mental health challenges and substance abuse. If these stories resonate with you and you or someone you love need help and don't know where to turn, Rick, Ryan, and Damien are here for you. Please reach out when you're ready to ourcollectivejourney.ca or on Facebook at Our Collective Journey.
2: So yeah, this is... uh the Plugged In Media Network, From Darkness to Life. Uh, this is Ryan, and uh, I'm joined by Rick today. Rick is here as well. And man, I can honestly say I've been looking so forward to this podcast for a couple weeks now when my friend agreed to do this podcast. We're also joined with Krista. Krista, why don't you introduce yourself?
0: Hello. Um so I feel compelled to introduce myself this way um, because I am many, many things. But my name is Krista, obviously, and I just wanted to introduce myself as an alcoholic addict in recovery.
2: Nice. Join the club. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we we uh, greatly appreciate your transparency. So, yeah, Krista and I, you know, um, I've had a chance to tell my story A lot over the last few years and uh, Krista played a big part and continues to be a a big part of my story of of recovery. Um, We met, oh my gosh, what was that? 2015, I guess. February. I went to treatment the second time and uh, Krista just happened to be, well, I'll let you tell your part of that story. Krista happened to be in the treatment center, but you can shed light on the rest of that story.
0: Um, Yeah, I I guess it was probably about like six years ago today when perhaps these conversations even started to happen. Um, but I was working at that time in the treatment center. I was kind of just a night night person to offer support and just be around. And that's where I came into contact with Ryan. And that's probably about the time when this, was, this idea was kind of coming together. Um, and I was at the part in my story where I was just telling absolutely everybody on the planet that I was going to be doing this bike trip. And Ryan was just one of those people that got to hear that story.
2: Oh my gosh, I distinctly remember hearing that story the first time. And I honestly, my brain went to, well, she's using, there's no way that <laughs> who's cycling across Canada. And I do you remember I asked you, uh, I was asking you if you like cycling. Do you remember what you said?
0: Yeah, no, I, I absolutely didn't like cycling at the time. People, I think, assume I was really into cycling and I had a lot of passion about it. Uh, but I didn't even own a bike at that that juncture in my life. That was something I still needed to do to make this bike trip happen. And, and to your comment about thinking I was using, I think a lot of people did question my wellness, right? I'd come out with this myself in recovery and I was... Oh, gosh, maybe like three, four months when all of this was coming together into recovery and um, started telling absolutely everybody. And I'm pretty sure everyone was questioning if I was doing well at that time.
2: (laughs) For sure. I know I remember asking you afterwards once you shared that you're not really an avid cyclist at all. And I (laughs) suppose you must take a spin class or something. Yeah. No, I hate spin class.
0: (laughs) I did at the time. I do now. I'll throw that out there. But at the time, yeah, I, I didn't like cycling at all. (laughs)
2: Yeah, for sure. And I remember, you know, sitting there thinking we're X amount of months out of treatment. I'm currently in treatment at that time. And just how wild that idea sounded to me. Like I had known some other people who, you know, in the media and stuff who had went across Canada and through different various means and stuff. And what what a grueling event that was. And I just thought, this is a bizarre idea. I want no part of it.
0: Yeah. And you know, what? to be honest, I don't, I don't really think that I ever took the time. And I mean, the story carries on where there's proof of that I never really took the time to think through what that meant physically. Mm-hmm. I had some experience with some big expeditions in the past where I knew mentally what something like that would take, but in terms of physically, I'm not sure that I spent too much time pondering that.
2: Yeah. no. And, and you know what, I, I was the same way. I remember when we first started, um, I understood. Well, I guess I was the opposite of what you just disclosed. I understood how hard physically this might be, but mentally I was not prepared for that challenge of what that looked like to do cycling every day for three months, especially through the, month. Yeah, it was- go ahead.
0: Yeah, it certainly was a lot longer than anything I'd taken on. And I definitely underestimated the mental challenge it was going to be as well. But
2: (laughs) Yeah, for sure. So just to share a little bit about what we're talking about. So Krista and I met, like we just said, in a treatment center years ago. Um, She had this idea that she was going to cycle across Canada for her own recovery. And just to prove to herself she could do it, you know, just one of those things. And I know you'll talk more about that, Krista, but she had asked me if, you know, if I was interested in doing something like that and something like that had always been on my mind, you know, over the years, but who had time to check out of reality and check out of real life for three months and to do this kind of thing. Right. But for me, I guess looking back now, you know, I had lost my job. I had lost pretty much everything in my life. We've heard this before, how we all burnt our lives to the ground. And so I really had nothing holding me back. So I, you know, talked with my kids about it and and set out on this journey with Krista. and. Oh my goodness. So we're going to talk a little bit about that today and not just, you know, the events that took place, but all the lessons and the the things that we learned along the way that maybe we didn't understand at the time, but man, they're so powerful today, six years later, how often these tools and these things that we've recognized help us in our own recovery today.
0: Absolutely. Out there on that bike trip, I mean, that's that's where my recovery all came together. I, um, I didn't know when I set out to do that, any of the gifts I was going to get from that experience. And it's still, it's still today, like even prior to sitting down to do this podcast, I was just thinking about it and there's still lessons that pop up for me. It's definitely, it's changed my life, my recovery and and who I am as a person for sure.
2: Yeah, absolutely. One of the things that I always talk about is, um, you know, the solid foundation that is needed. And we hear that all the time, but in recovery, you need that solid foundation to start on and, and that's what this bike trip provided me, right? I had ample time to, to work on myself. I had ample time to learn, you know, the value of honesty. And uh, one of the biggest things I took from that bike trip is is the control piece, right? Like up until recovery, mm-hmm. I thought I controlled everything in my life. <laughs> and it was you every day that would point out, can you control that? No, you can't control the weather. You can't control the hills, all that kind of stuff, right? And that's something I take with me every day of my life now is what can i control in this situation
0: it wasn't even me it was mother nature i mean if you want to be humbled by by life spend three months outside right you learn you're not in control of anything and no matter like you would have the best laid out plan forget it if mother nature has another idea for you that's that's where you're going
2: yeah for sure how many times did we did we check the weather forecast? Did we check, you know, the itinerary and the maps and and plan out goals at the start where we wanted to go that day and Mother Nature or, you know, some uncontrollable event would take place and say, nope, not happening today.
0: Oh, and we tried. We both tried, Ryan. I'm sure you remember that. That's We were both holding on to every little piece we could control off the start. We would map out where we thought we were going to go and where we could go and where we'd stop for lunch and, and every kind of detail of it. And towards the end, I don't even know if we planned anything. It was all just we're gonna stop here and and stopped in the moment. We learned to let that go.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And that's one of the things, you know, like we talked earlier about how that trip really does help us in our in our everyday life today and, and with recovery and all the knowledge around that. But oh my gosh, letting go of the things that I can't control and you know, just turning it over to whatever that is, that's greater than myself. And on this bike trip, you know, it was mother nature. It was, you know, our higher powers and all those types of things that uh, really kind of laid the path for us to get across the country. And, and things got a lot easier once, you know, you helped me with that a lot. Once I started to buy into that and realize that I don't control any of that stuff and I'm going to break myself trying, man, that was a life changing experience.
0: Yeah, most definitely. I think I mean, talking about like our biggest takeaways, that was for sure one for me. But I think, I mean, one of the biggest things for me is I had to spend all day, every day in my own head, right? And we talk about kind of, you know, demons in our closet and all those kinds of things. There's no better way to face that than, than head on. And I didn't have escape. Sure, I had sort of, you know, some music and things to listen to, but I spent a lot of time in my head and I had to get okay with who I was as a person. Um, or I wouldn't. I wouldn't have kept going, right? Like it was just me and my my thoughts.
2: <laughs> yeah, for sure. And lots of times, that's a scary place to be—is up there alone.
0: Absolutely, especially fresh in recovery, right? Like you—you you turn the floodgates on to all the emotion, to all the thoughts, to all the memories.
2: Yeah, yeah, and, and you know what? Like I, I always look back, and I find it's such a surreal event to to replay in my mind. Is we actually cycled seven thousand kilometers or something, coast to coast, but. The piece that really jumps out at me is we did this like three, I think I was three months into recovery when I started. You were six months?
0: Something like that, yeah.
2: Yeah, right? And to to realize that we did that so early in our recoveries makes it even more astonishing. But, oh my goodness, at the time you know, I was so focused on the physical aspect of it that, and you can remember those days too, right? It's, mm-hmm. we got to get moving. We got to pack up. We got to do this faster. We got to move, make more kilometers. And it was just, I was missing the whole part of the journey.
0: Yeah. We each kind of, we, we came into it with our own stuff. And I think for you and maybe you can share a bit more about that. I think a lot of your piece was to finish it. Right. And, and when, timelines got in the way of that or threatened that it it threatened kind of you directly right and so you had sort of that piece going on and maybe a little bit more and then for me I see I'd done things like this and I kind of knew I would finish it right I knew I knew I would have thoughts that I wouldn't but I would get to the end and I never well I doubted it at times but it never stuck right like I knew I would see the end of it but for me I needed to prove to myself I could do it in recovery as this person that I wanted to be. Right. So we had kind of different agendas that way.
2: Yeah, for sure. And I know that you speaking about that piece, my, my portion of that and what I brought into that bike trip was, yeah, I remember really being focused on finishing and that, you know, I was focused on the finish line and completing that journey and, I think that was so important to me because we talked about this before is that I really up until that point had never completed anything that I had set out to do. Um, you know, whether it was my hockey career, right? And that was cut short by my involvement with alcohol and, you know, drinking all the time. And it cut my cut my desire and my motivation to keep trying. It cut it right out, right? That's what happens with addiction. But, mm-hmm. and then the same thing with college, right? The first time I went to school, three years into school, pretty much failed out and uh, used different justifications why I wasn't going to continue going to school but it was all because I'd pretty much pissed it down my leg by drinking and staying out every night and being late with assignments and all that stuff right so I look back and I think all those things that I tried to do and failed and that was like that narrative that I kept telling myself and my addiction and my and just that addictive thinking that I had that bizarre thinking was that you know you're a failure all these stories we tell ourselves you're never going to complete this you're, you're not worthy of doing this who do you think you are type thing and I think that's the piece i really focused on during that bike trip was man i'm going to complete this just to shut those voices off in my head and i was missing every moment of every day because i was looking so far down the road it was crazy
0: yeah that was an interesting journey to be a part of that you were on i think on every single day we had that conversation and i would tell you every single day that i didn't know how we would get there but we would get there right it was just that blind faith that i had in that end goal but at the same time for myself, I was really struggling with the how, how was I going to get there? What was it going to look like? you know and and I had this this idea in my head that to be in recovery meant I had to be flawless and I had to be able to face everything without, you know breaking down or anything like that. And, and that bike trip that that was kind of my inner journey through that. and I realized no, it's it's the highs and the lows. If that's part of being human. that's part of our human experience. And that's, that's part of recovery as well. Right. So I'd, I had to let go of the picture of what it would look like to get to
2: the end. Yeah. <laughs> that's so awesome to hear you say that because I went through that process as well. Mine was a lot farther down the highway than yours was, but Oh man. And, and, and the lessons that we take from those, that journey continues. Like I've said before, it continues today, right? Like by being able to focus on, I distinctly remember it was probably about two weeks into the trip where, where maybe three weeks when we decided that we were going to start looking at that trip and the itinerary just like we do in recovery and take it one day at a time and throw the rest out the window because we don't control anything past this moment. And I remember how that changed the trajectory of that bike trip for my myself mentally. I mean, I still struggled from day to day off and on, but overall just focusing on, you know, let's just ride till noon or let's just ride till that signpost and then we'll figure it out from there and how that helps just navigate recovery every day.
0: Yeah, definitely. I mean, mentally, I had to break it down bit by bit all the time because like physically, I know I say that physically wasn't like the big thing, but it was a challenge. I mean, I had to recognize that after the fact you don't see many females out there. You don't see many people packing as much crazy stuff on their bicycle as we tried to. Right. So um, <laughs> I had to break it down into smaller chunks yeah. a lot.
2: <laughs> yeah. Right. I remember the physical, all the different memories I have of the physical um, constraints and the obstacles we faced. I remember we were in, you remember, I don't know the town, you'll remember all these towns. You have such a better memory than me, but where we went for Chinese food, cause we were both too exhausted <laughs> yeah. to cook for ourselves that night. And you were looking for the I can't remember if it was the salt, I think. And I had the salt shaker under the table and I was grinding it into my quads because it was almost to the point of tears. They were so sore.
0: Yeah, I do remember that. And I remember having a, that kind of thought while we were in the restaurant. Like we'd really, at, at a lot of times, <laughs> abandoned what it looked like, right? We were just focusing on our primary needs of, of making sure we were like mentally okay and physically okay. And if that meant using the salt shaker and, rolling out your thigh in the middle of a Chinese restaurant, right? Like that's what it looked like. And I, you know, I'd have those thoughts like, man, this is kind of embarrassing, but at the same time just didn't care. Like we needed to do what we needed to do.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I think get
0: with, thigh.
2: for sure. And it didn't take long. It was about three weeks or a month into that journey where we threw all that who cares about what other people think we threw it out oh. the window because and, and that's another lesson we learned The me personally learned, you know, is not to put so much worth in what other people think, because that was, you know, what controlled my life before I wanted everybody to like me, but I didn't want anyone to talk to me type thing. And, and I had to be that image, right. Of all the, the coolest guy around and the most popular person and man, coming out of, you know, taking that mask off during that bike trip. And just, I remember when we f- even just picking out helmets. And you wanted to get the brightest, yeah. most obnoxious neon green or yellow helmets. And I'm like, no, I don't want to be that person, right? But that was the start of it is, you know, taking that mask off and just being okay with who I am. And man, by the time we got halfway into that trip, that was completely out the window. We were dressing like fools. Whatever we pulled out of our bags that morning is what got put on. and <laughs> It was crazy.
0: Definitely. I, I mean, I don't think I started out that way. Right. I think it's one thing to say, I don't really care what people think, right? a lot of us say that to sort of guard ourselves. But that trip, that trip, that's yeah, it's another thing that I got out of it. And, and definitely you really helped me with it because there's no better way to take off that mask than with someone who sees you and appreciates you for for who you are. Right. So I think together we were able to be absolute fools uh, and it was OK. And it taught me for sure that it, it was OK. Just be who you are and, and let the world see that. And they will judge you. I'm sure we were judged multiple times. Remember, I, I don't know exactly. We were somewhere, in, somewhere and I remember we were wearing kind of crazy outfits. And, and I was noticing that everybody was like looking at us and they were giving us very judgmental looks. And it took me forever to realize that we were wearing absolutely ridiculous outfits because in my mind, we were just there observing a train and seeing some common tourist attraction. Right. Yeah.
2: Are you telling me that my fluorescent camouflage tights <laughs> that I wore were obnoxious?
0: <laughs> they were a little loud, but necessary, right? You gotta be visible out there. <laughs> That's right.
2: That's right. Oh man, yeah, I, I do remember a lot of moments like that where you know we'd be walking through a grocery store because we made a point of you know we're packing all our gear and our stoves and everything on our bikes, so we can't pack a cooler full of food. So. Usually around two or three o'clock every afternoon or whatever the the road dictated we'd pull into a little town to a grocery store and grab some some sort of groceries for that night to cook up and I remember walking around the grocery store and wondering what you know what's that guy's problem? why does he giving me that look type thing right And here I am in my bike shorts and a tank top and nowhere to put a wallet and it was just a bizarre scene
0: yeah, you got your bike helmet upside down with all of the your wallet and your earphones and phone and whatnot carrying it around like a little purse. <laughs>
2: Oh my goodness. So many funny memories of that trip. Go ahead. Yeah. The, um, just the, you know, the continued lessons. I remember one of the biggest things for me and we talk about, you know, carrying these messages and carrying these, these tools that we were taught during that bike trip, whether we wanted to learn them or not, but carrying them forward and how beneficial they've been in, in our recoveries and especially the ones I can remember for me. And, uh, I think that piece you just talked about, you know, you know, we're all going to get judged. We're all going to have people who don't like us or whatever that is, but to be okay with ourselves and be okay with somebody else's opinion of us, because that's really not going to impact me moving forward. It's their opinion. They're entitled to it, but you know, surrounding ourselves with the right people. And that's that piece. Like you were so inspirational and so beneficial to my recovery by having that, you know, like-minded person to bounce these ideas off and be vulnerable with and, and show me that, you know, this is okay to talk about this. And, uh, yeah, and today I continue. That's what drives me today is to continue surrounding myself with those kind of people and uh, just to have those healthy people around to to bounce these ideas off of because <laughs> you know it as well as I do. My crazy brain can tell me that the most obnoxious things are okay. And that's where it's helpful yeah. for me to have those other people around to to just kind of rein me in and look at me and say, no, that's bizarre. You don't want to do that.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting piece piece there to talk about I mean um I know like in our friendship we sort of always kind of agreed to be authentic and unedited right but when you throw yourself into that sort of environment you are you're completely stripped of all your resources and your your defects and everything are kind of not there and like that kind of you know you're my teammate out there and you got to see everything the complete unedited version right um and that taught me a lot about who i was and that it was okay to be that way for sure.
2: Yeah. No, that's so cool to hear you say that cuz i have a you know a similar experience but from this side of the fence was you really helped me recognize that i don't have to be that image of what a what i thought a man was, right? That that masculine piece of i'll fix everything and i'll, you know, I'm not here to listen to your problems. I'm here to fix them type thing. Right. And, and I got to be look a certain way and I got to act a certain way to be that person. But that's one of the things that I really took from that bike trip and, and experiencing it with you was that it's okay to be who I am. And it's okay to talk to, especially somebody of the opposite sex, right. Talk to a female about my feelings and have them validated as real feelings of another human being, not just like from my mindset, not from a man who's being weak by talking about his feelings and breaking down in tears and, it was a real cool experience to sit and be vulnerable with somebody else like that. And up until those moments, I really never experienced that before.
0: Yeah, for sure. And vulnerable. Like I I had to trust you like it or not. Like we were biking (laughs) together, right? You were sort of my lifeline and I was yours in many ways. Right. (laughs) Yeah. And and to learn to trust another human being too. I mean, that's not a small um, feat, especially early in recovery. Right.
2: Yeah. No, for sure. And and up until then, yeah, like everything was done by myself. Right. Even though other people had parts of it, I owned it all. And I thought I controlled everything and there was no way I was trusting somebody else with all those decisions. Or I remember early on, it was a struggle for me to just let you have the map. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. I'm like, I got to control all this stuff. (laughs) Yeah,
0: you're really focused on the details and recording all the kilometers and all the everything you were
2: I still have screenshots of those if you ever want to see them.
0: (laughs) I don't. I didn't then and I don't now. you were always telling me how fast you went and all these details. And I knew it meant something to you. But to me, I was like, I don't know. I'm here.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I look back now and I I laugh at those moments because I was so focused on that stuff. Our mindsets were so totally different that in the moment it, it annoyed me. But now it's like that is what helped me get through, you know, break through that piece on my own and understand how you looked at things. And it's that whole open-minded and willingness piece where, man, I became so open-minded to taking somebody else's suggestions during that bike trip. And that's, I talk about that all the time in my recovery is that's the biggest piece is that honesty piece. And the open-minded and willingness piece is the foundation of my recovery. And without that bike trip, I don't know, I I might've got there at some point, but it might've taken a lot longer.
0: Yeah, definitely. I I think for sure it really the open-mindedness and willingness piece was of sort of tested all the time and I think the whole thing you talk about honesty and I think that was sort of the big theme of even going on the bike trip as well as about getting honest about everything and letting people see what that looked like.
2: Yeah I know you were one of the the first people I had talked to that because a lot of the the 12-step groups and stuff It's based on anonymity, right? And I remember you telling me you were going to rip the bandaid right off and just say, this is what I am, take it or leave it type thing. And and I had to sit on that for quite a while and think, am I ready to do that? And that bike trip was, you know, there was really no way to be part of that trip with you and not have that piece as part of my story too. And I, I quickly became okay with that because I realized that, you know, by somebody else being open and honest like that, man, and then, you know what? i kind of jumped around here, but one of the biggest uh, pieces that reaffirms that w- that was the right thing for me to do was the first gentleman that we saw on the side of the highway that day in BC when we were both delusional and dehydrated and it was 35 above and we were out of water and no maps, mm-hmm. no cell service. And I don't know, I won't say his name, but I remember that man's name distinctly. And he pulled over in that rest stop and sat with us for like half an hour talking to us because he was worried about us. And he mm-hmm. went, he disappeared. Do you remember that fella? Yep. Yeah, he disappeared and came back, I don't know how long later, with 12 bottles of water and granola bars and sat with us for an hour and talked about his son. Yeah. And just how open and vulnerable that stranger was with us and just, you know, almost starving to have somebody talk that kind of language and understand what he's going through. And that was quite an intense moment for me.
0: There was so many like that. And I, that's one of the things, like the gifts, I didn't, I didn't see that coming. Right. Like you talked about it. I was, it was pretty self-serving when I set it out. I wanted, I wanted to rip that bandaid off. Right. For my, for selfishly, for my own reasons, because I knew if, if I tried to hide behind it, that I, I, if I didn't get honest, like that honest, that I would try to figure out how to go back and be a successful user. Right. Like that's, I just knew that, but I took a lot of people with me on that journey, right? Like in terms of my family, like everyone I knew that was close to me also came along on that journey because by me exposing my story, I exposed a piece of theirs. Yeah. And I did have some of those conversations, but I, you know, I, I didn't really know the gravity of what that meant for other people too. Yeah. But yeah. That's and those we- will, go ahead.
2: <laughs> uh- I was just going to reiterate what you said there and that's a huge piece to ripping that band-aid off is yeah you have to be okay with it yourself but you're also going to expose parts of other people's stories as well and you know it's not just about us anymore it's about what's the next right thing but you know who are we impacting by what we're doing today
0: yeah and and that's i mean it ended up being really positive it was a really cool um experience to witness. So my parents in particular, right. By me coming out as an addict, alcoholic in recovery, then they had to come out as parents, um, as of a, of a daughter who was an addict, alcoholic in recovery, right. That was part of their story. Um, and just like we seen out there on the roads, like the experience you just talked about with that guy in the water telling it that started to happen to mom and dad too, right. People would come forward. And so it's, when you get a little bit raw and you get a little bit vulnerable, people meet you there. Not everybody, right? There's always some judgment, but a lot of people meet you there. And that's amazing.
2: Wow. Yeah, that's so amazing. Uh, we could go on and on about all the different individuals. And I'm sure we'll have time time at some point to talk about some of these stories. But, you know, that another life-changing piece for me was by ripping that bandaid off and, and sharing our stories of recovery and instead of focusing on the addiction piece. Yeah. Okay. We both are addicts and alcoholics and mm-hmm. you know, that's part of our story, but let's focus on the other is the recovery piece and how this is possible. And, you know, one of the biggest life changing moments for me, and you'll remember this is when we were in my hometown in Swift current, Saskatchewan, and it just happened to coincide us riding through there at the same time as they had their annual fair and frontier days and whatnot. And, um, they asked us to be the speakers downtown on that stage that day in front of, mm-hmm. I don't know what there would have been there, 500 people or something. And to go up there, I really, you know, wasn't too keen on doing it at the start. And then, you know, talking with you about it a lot, you helped me th- over that over that hump and getting up there on that stage and sharing this story of what we're doing, how addiction has impacted my life and what you and I are doing. And, you know, and then to see the people that came up out of the woodwork after that and talk to us on the side of that stage. And, you know, some individuals that I've known for 30, 40 years and talking about, you know, their alcoholism or their recovery. Do you remember that little old lady who came up and gave us $5 for her, I think it was her grandson. He was on the streets of Vancouver or something. And she was crying and gave us $5 towards donations. I do. do, Yeah. Amazing experience. And that right there set the tone for the rest of the, you know, my mindset anyway, set the tone and changed my perspective a lot as to what I was doing this for.
0: Oh, for sure. And that, that was for sure a big hurdle for you to, it's one thing to rip the bandaid off and even publicly we could keep it out of mind. But when you're, you're on a stage in your hometown talking to faces that you can see and you know, I mean, that's, that's a bigger level.
2: Yeah. No, it was pretty wild. Um, One of the other pieces I wanted to talk about was you know, back to that whole control piece. And you help me with that. They talk about that in, you know, in recovery. I learned that in the treatment center is letting go of control and and finding the pieces that you control in this moment. And that'll help, you know, with the other pieces that are coming down the road ahead, right? If you do the right things in this moment, it's going to help you on the trajectory of where you're going. And uh, yeah, focusing on, if anybody's never ridden a bike or rode a bike with a (laughs) hundred pounds of gear on it, it's an entirely different ball game, Okay. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yep. It was wild. So, you know, we both wore mirrors. You have to really learn how to check your mirror for traffic coming behind you because there's no way. We learned really quick and really fast that if you shoulder check with all that weight on your bike, yeah. your bike will move six feet. <laughs> so you're out into traffic. Um, so we really had to focus on that piece and the the whole control piece, man. What we can control in those moments. And for us, it was, you know, focus on where that front tire is and focus on that mirror and the rest is going to sort itself out. As long as we're riding where we're supposed to ride, the rest is, you know, up to God. It's not up to us anymore.
0: Yeah, definitely. I mean, talk about relationship with a higher power. I had to put a lot of trust into, to something right. That I, that I would stay alive. Cause it was like, when we started out, we were trying to ride our bicycles like that through Vancouver. And, and I mean, I'd never put weight on my bike before. And yeah, we figured out pretty fast. you can't shoulder check. So you kind of had to, to pray and, and throw it out there that you'd be okay.
2: Yeah. (laughs) So wild to go back and think, even in this moment, I'm thinking about, you know, reliving some of these situations with you on that trip. And I still have a hard time believing that we actually did something like that.
0: I don't think we ever will be, at least I won't be able to wrap my mind around it. I've, I've like taken cars over multiple pieces of that that path and it still doesn't seem believable that it happened
2: yeah like I was just in Banff and Lake Louise a couple weekends ago and and to think that we actually rode two-wheel bicycles through that area of the country you know there's a lot of physical challenges there and then you mix in the wildlife and that's just another piece we don't control right we talked about that a lot says what are Mm -hmm. we going to do if we run into a bear Yeah, and heaven forbid we did.
0: (laughs) We did. That's not a fond memory that I have.
2: (laughs) No, me neither. I do have video evidence of it, but I, (laughs) I did cut the video off before I got the ass chewing of a lifetime from you.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that was. We had very different opinions on how to handle bears.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I distinctly remember you telling me, Ryan, this is not an effing zoo.
0: Yes, and I think at the end of that, you kind of said, yes, it's okay that you're yelling at me in this moment, but the bear is coming along the guardrail, so we've got to continue this later.
2: <laughs> oh my goodness, right? And off
0: we went, climbing Rogers Pass at probably like two kilometers an hour to get away from this grizzly bear.
2: Oh, there's a wild thing to think about. Um, what? Uh, why don't you shed a little light on what you're doing now I know we're not here to talk about work and all these other things but one of the gifts for me in my recovery is you know going across that going across this country on that bike trip and talking to all these people and seeing how impactful that was to all these individuals that are out there and um struggling you know and just to feel that feeling that I would get every time I stopped and shared my story and gave them almost gave them permission to share their story of how addiction or mental health was impacting them or a loved one. And I know you and I had talked about it and I think it's a, it's a dream of a lot of people who get into recovery is to become an addictions counselor. But um, that's the piece that you really helped me with. Cause I remember being halfway across the country and still hadn't registered for school or still hadn't thought about where I was going to live after this. And, and you had already been registered and we're all pumped up to do this.
0: Yeah, I think it was like within the last two days of the trip where you actually told me what your life plan was. Until then, I kind of didn't know what to expect um, from you. But I think that was I I think that was an important piece for you. I definitely had set out on a plan to become an addictions counselor. I knew that. And, you know, (sighs) Part of it is, I think, you know, that's what I was put on this earth to do was to be, to be a counselor in, in some capacity and to be around addiction, whatever that looks like, right? If it's in the rooms or just on, on podcasts or, or as a counselor, whatever that looks like. Um, but, you know, I was really, I was really really stubborn. I still am, call a spade a spade, in, in no early way. recovery. And um, like Ryan said, a lot of people get into recovery and it's sort of like almost like a knee-jerk reaction where they think, well, I'm going to become a counselor, right? Like I'm going to do this. And it's pretty common that, that people have that reaction. And this, this older gentleman who actually worked at the same treatment center that we were talking about, I remember him. I remember distinctly where I was at the time. And he looked at me and he said, a lot of people talk about it, Krista, but not many people do it. And that's, I mean, kind of what I needed to hear, that it was going to be challenging, not everyone did it. And mm-hmm. that's where my stubbornness sort of kicked into high gear. And I'm like, well, let me show you, I'll do it. <laughs> And uh, my, stubborn, my stubbornness has served me well in my recovery. It's, it's, it's gotten me a lot of places. I try to soften it a bit now. And uh, I think I had to learn the opposite maybe of you, Ryan, and I had to learn how to quit because I wouldn't quit anything, even if it killed me before.
2: Yeah, for sure. I'm just kind of distracted here. This is one of the first podcasts we've done on Zoom, and uh, I'm just fascinated by this bald spot I'm growing here.
0: Oh
2: boy. <laughs> that's what i love about talking with you is we can just talk about the most random stuff and it's just a normal conversation for us like we were trying to figure out the thumbnail for our podcast episode and we're like well that's a bizarre looking picture but you know what that's just a normal picture for us
0: yeah i don't i don't think there were, we never had professional photographers out to stage any photos <laughs> kind of what you see is what you get <laughs>
2: yeah for sure well you know what I think that would be a good spot to maybe turn this into a part two. I think we have a lot of stuff that we never got to talk about today just due to kind time constraints and schedules for both of us. But you know what? I would love to sit down and do more of this exploration of this bike trip and not so much the bike trip, but the lessons in recovery that come from something like that and pushing through that fear. And, you know, I don't know about you, but for me, a lot of my underlying character defects were stemmed. They came from fear and to be able to push through that unknown piece and, and tackle that fear on that bike trip was a huge kickstart to my recovery for sure.
0: Yeah, definitely. I think, it, yeah, it's a good place for a part two. I think we're going to sort of put an end cap on that. Like I think mine was, yeah, my opinion of myself and the belief in my capabilities. Right. But that's what I was yeah, that's what it came back to for me. And that was my big project.
2: <laughs> Absolutely. I agree. And I know we have a lot of guests that come on this podcast and, you know, you have been such an inspiration in my recovery and just to sit back and be in awe of the things that you've been able to accomplish in your recovery. And like you said, you put your mind to something and it happens, right? We're not sure how it's going to happen, but at the end of the day, or, you know, it's happened for you and it's been an amazing journey, watching this unfold for you in your life. And uh, those are the pieces that I really want to discuss and, and get into because man, a lot of females out there that can probably resonate with your journey as well. And um, I think it's very beneficial to have you back on and share some of that journey, some more of that journey, because we only, oh my goodness, we could spend hours and hours talking about this kind of stuff, but if you're open to it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Part two, it would be great even if I don't know if people want to sort of submit questions for us to, that we can answer to, that might be something to explore, whatever, whatever this world has planned. I'm, I'm ready for it. So.
2: Oh, that's, (laughs) that's a great idea. Let's maybe put that out there that anybody who's listening to this, send us an email um, either at help at our collective journey.ca or send us a direct message through one of our social media platforms. And if you guys want to, anybody wants to throw questions at us, we'll compile a list and uh, maybe on part two, we'll answer a few of those questions and who knows where that conversation leads, but I can tell you, it'll be interesting. That's for sure.
0: That's what I, that's what I like about it is we don't know. We'll find out. Right.
2: Yeah. So please don't uh, any, there's no such thing as a silly question, throw them out there and uh, we'll answer some of them. That'd be amazing. Definitely. Cool. Well, buddy. I am so glad that you took time out of your day to join us for this today. I think it's so important to get these stories out there. And I know you have the same mindset as I do. Um, You know, in order to start chipping away at that stigma, I think more people have to tell their stories and normalize these conversations. And this is a huge platform to do that. That's for sure.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. I would encourage anybody who's listening to, to start that journey, whatever that looks like for
2: you okay well we're going to wrap this episode up uh thanks for joining us on from darkness to life through the plugged in media network you know the guys here are just amazing dave had to struggle to get some of the technical difficulties figured out so we could start this today and we can't say enough good things about dave and rob and the guys here at the studio it's amazing and uh krista thank you very much for joining me today i haven't seen your face in a long time so it's nice to see even though it's through the computer
1: yeah definitely anytime
2: (laughs) okay buddy you take care today and we'll talk soon
1: Okay. Bye-bye. From Darkness to Life is an Our Collective Journey podcast. These are the true stories of struggles and triumphs against addiction and mental health challenges. If these stories resonate with you and you or someone you love need help and don't know where to turn, Rick, Ryan, and Damien are here for you. Contact Our Collective Journey on Facebook at Our Collective Journey or on the web at ourcollectivejourney.ca. Hosted by Poncho Parker. Produced by Rob Pate. Engineered, edited, and directed by Dave Cruikshank. From Darkness to Life is a Plugged In Media Network exclusive. Check out this and our other great podcasts at PiMediaNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.